Okay, folks, this is time, really time for ACB Radio to present the PCB Saturday morning section session of our Pennsylvania Conference for Pennsylvania Council of the Blind. Um, I hope because we only have like four or five people in the um, attendee section and several in the panelist section that the rest of you are listening on ACB radio. We can get a report on that, uh, but we won't know who you are. But I hope everybody enjoys this. The first person up is Marty Schultz from uh, Blindfold Games and Objective Ed. And Marty has been a friend to all of us and a... uh, a person who has been teaching, helping people understand how to play games better and how to learn more efficiently for a long time, and that's a heck of a bridge to uh, bridge the distance on. So take it away, Marty. Well, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to talk to some of um, the people in the audience um, at the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind. Um, I want, I'm going to start off this presentation kind of going first through the history of blindfold games, which many people may know, but some people may not. And then we'll kind of swing over to uh, how objective it got started. So back when uh, my daughter, who is now turning 20 next month, back when she was 12 years old, uh, she was, every day she would write down a new birthday wish list. She wasn't visually impaired. Um, so she would, have, you know, about a month before her birthday, she'd write down her birthday wish list, what she wanted. And the next day she'd rip up that uh, list and start a new one. She did this day after day after day. And I thought to myself, there should be an app for that. So I, ha- I figured I could either create the app because I'm a programmer by training um, and then focus test it with some of her friends on this like birthday wish list, wish, wish list app, or I could um, use it as a STEM learning opportunity for the kids at her middle school, at her school. So I contacted the head of school and said, I want to run an after school club where I'm going to teach the kids uh, and the kids and I will, design, will basically design this birthday wish list app. So the head of school who loved ideas of STEM said, that's a great idea. And I said, I want to run it about three times a week for six weeks. I'll meet with the kids about 45 minutes to an hour, three times a week. And after getting fingerprinted and background checked and everything else, we finally launched the club. And the kids and I had a great time building out the app. And they learned a lot of how to design it. We kind of built, we do the design during the day and I do the program in the evening. Then um, at the end of the semester, uh, the head of school comes back to me and says, Marty, can you run the app club again? And I said, sure, I had a wonderful time. And she said, uh, can you teach her, the middle schoolers had a program. Can you run a programming elective course after you drop off your door in the morning? And I said, yeah, I want to be an involved parent. I can do that. So I actually did that for the next two years. I think it took four different semesters of uh, first period programming. And that's when I realized why the school has parent volunteers teach first period elective because 45 minutes of that class was about how long it took these kids to calm down before they were ready for the core curriculum. But I did anyway and I had a good time. But getting back to the app club, when we ran the app club a second time, the kids said, we don't want to build some stupid app. We want to build a game. I said, what kind of game do you want to build? They said, we want to, uh, they said, they didn't know what kind of game. I said, okay, go off and think about the kind of games you want to build and make sure it's not a clone of everything in the app store. Because if I'm going to put my programming time into this, I want to make sure it's something unique. So the kids go off two weeks later, we come, they come back and say, well, what, what ideas do you have for a game? Every one of their game ideas was, was a clone of something else in the app store that they were familiar with. 
So I was just holding an iPad in my hand, kind of twisting it around, almost like a steering wheel, and looking at it and said, why don't we make a driving game for blind people? And they looked at me kind of oddly. And I said, um, well, they said, how would it work? And I said, well, imagine you're wearing headphones. And then if you use the iPad like a steering wheel and you turn it to the left, the music would get louder in your left ear representing the left side of the fence. And then you turn, you steer to the right, the music would get louder in your right ear being the right side of the fence that's on both sides of the road. And they said, well, how do we make that more interesting? And one of the kids said, well, why don't we put some animals on the road that you can avoid? So I said, okay, we can have things like chickens on the road. If you hear a chicken, you would want to avoid that and by listening to where it would be in those headphones. And then another kid said, well, maybe we could have uh, prizes in it. I said, okay, we could have like th- uh, things that make noise, like popping popcorn. So with this basic idea, the kids and I then worked on this, uh, this driving game for the next six months. And all my friends kept asking me, um, have you tested it with any blind people? I said, no, because they'd probably just laugh us right out of the room because we have no idea what they would think of us. Well, I, I heard of, uh, I got mocked by my friends enough that I finally decided to reach out to the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind. And we arranged for one Saturday morning to do a team evaluation of the game. We staged about 15 iPads with headphones and, and brought them in. I think the local TV station showed up as well. And the teens absolutely loved the game. They just had such a great time uh, playing it. And one of the teens during the, while he was playing said, is the screen dark when you're playing? I said, yes. He said, well, you better put something on the screen because sighted people will think their iPad is broken. So he took his advice and put something on the screen while, so that even though it's just like a, something saying you'll play, you'll play this game better or you'll score better if you close your eyes while you play. And then um, he was the one who ended up naming it Blindfold Racer. Uh, I think a few weeks later, we made some more changes to the game. We took it to the uh, Fort Lauderdale Lighthouse for the Blind. And there, one of the girls who had been blind since birth was playing for about an hour or so. And then afterwards, I, I kind of debriefed. I said, well, what do you think of it? And she said, I'm going to so beat the butt of my sighted friends. I said, okay, this is probably going to be interesting. So we ended up uh, putting uh, the game into the, uh, the Apple App Store, Blindfold Racer. And it quickly shot up to the top of the acceptable games list. I started hearing from blind people all across the country um, asking me about why I built the game and, and what was I planning on making more games. Well, it just so happened that uh, I go back and forth from Miami where I was living to Boston quite often because I still had two software companies up there I was on the board of. And I was invited by some people to visit the Carroll Center for the Blind the next time I was in Boston. And the person who invited me was... Um, Brian Charlson. So I called Brian up that morning. I said, Brian, I'm in town. Do you want me to stop by the Carroll Center? And Brian says, no, can you, uh, we had change of plans. Can you stop by my house? Instead, we have some friends over. So I drive over to his house, which is a few blocks from the Perkins School for the Blind. And I walk in there, and there are four adults about the same age as I am with their guide dog sitting around um, playing blindfold racer waiting to talk to me. So at that meeting, I met uh, Brian and his wife, Kim, Judy Dixon, who was uh, working at the time. I think she was still president of BANA, chairman, chairperson of BANA, and um, working for national, um, the talking book program at the National Library of Congress, as well as Doug Wakefield, her husband. Um, and uh, these four people had been up all night playing blindfold races so they could tell me what they liked and they didn't like about the game. 
And they explained the games had to have a lot of physicality and had to have a great audio scape and, and had to be challenging and had to have a lot of repeat playability. But at this, um, when we were sitting around talking to them for a while, I think Kim said, can you build me a, a solitaire game? So since I was semi-retired at the time, I thought, yeah, I could probably build a solitaire game. So I built a solitaire. So I added that to my list. And then Brian said, can you build a cryptogram game? I thought, yeah, I could probably do that. That doesn't sound too hard. Then Judy asks, can you build a Sudoku game? And I said, you can play a nine by nine Sudoku game in your head. She said, yeah, of course, can't anybody. So over the next few months, I built these three more games and I, I released them. And they became pretty popular. And I, then I happened to be up at the Perkins School and I met um, a woman by the name of Joanne Becker. And she had just gotten back from Las Vegas with a sighted friend of hers. And she, when I was showing the people at Perkins the, the few games I had built, she asked, can you build a blackjack game? And I thought, that sounds kind of interesting. It should take me more than a month or so. So I did a blackjack game. About a month or two later, I heard from... Uh, Anna Dresner, and she said, can you, and she was doing, I think she was in the blind bowling league, and she said, can you build a bowling game? And I thought, yeah, and I think I did that, and then I heard from somebody else who asked, can you do any of the old video games that were popular in the 1970s and 80s, uh, like the game Frogger? So I built a game called Blindfold Hopper. So about every month, I was hearing from more and more people coming up with ideas for games, and I popped out another game every month. And I kind of did that from 2012 until about 2017. At this point, uh, I've published over 80 games. I, I think the largest game, Blindfold Racer, has, has had over 75,000 downloads of the game. I think in total, all the games have been downloaded over half a million times. So the games have become quite popular. And as the total set of games, I have about a dozen or so card games, including Crazy Eights and Dominoes and Blackjack and and Solitaire and Uno and Hearts and Spades and and um, Neilborn, a thousand miles of travel cards. I've casino games like Blackjack and um, Craps and slot machines and roulette machines and poker. For board games, I've done Monopoly and Checker and Clue and Tic Tac Toe and Battleship. And um, Connect Four puzzle games. I've done things like Flappy Bird and Candy, things similar to Candy Crush and um, Sudoku and number games. Word games. I've done um, uh, Hangman and Words from Words and Word Search and um, Seven Little uh, Seven Little Words and things like that. Um, sports games, I've done air hockey and basketball and um, baseball and pool and um, see ski ball and soccer and bowling. In TV game shows, we've done Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, Jeopardy, um, uh, Name That Tune, uh, Family Feud, and a few others. Um, in action games, I've done horse racing games, Space Invaders, Flappy Bird, Blindfold Racer, Pinball, uh, Pong, um, Breakout, uh, a couple of infinite endless runner games. Um, and in multiplayer games uh, where you can compete with somebody else, um, I started doing a couple of multiplayer games on my own, but it was really hard to get that to work within the, within the way Apple sets up the iPhone. 
So I contacted the people over at RS Games and said, you already provide these great games, these multiplayer games like Monopoly or Roulette or um, Cards Against Humanity. When people are playing on PC or Macs, why don't you let me get your games running <clears throat> on the iPhone and the iPad? And, and we talked for a while and they agreed to do that. And that we released about another 20 or so games and they can even get out more games that will work on the iPhone and the iPad. So we have all those multiplayer games. Then <clears throat> one night back, I think in, in 2014 or 15, my wife and I went out to watch the fireworks and I happened to close my eyes and realize that fireworks were interesting to hear as well as to see. So I, I built an app of just to do fireworks on your phone where basically tapping and swiping, you hear different fireworks sounds. And then somebody said, can you take those fireworks sounds and make them part of some sort of message that I could send to somebody else, which launched Blindfold Greeting Card, where you can take um, any of 300 different sounds that I have in sound collection, add either your voice or a message that you write, it'll package it up and let you send a greeting card to somebody else as a, as a pure sound card, similar to the way sighted people would use um, a regular e-card or a video card. And, and that became very, very popular. A little while later, somebody asked us to do, uh, I think one of the testers, we have about 50 blind testers all across the world. And she was walking with her guide dog and her dog got into a, or another dog got into a fight with her dog and the leashes got uh, tied up and she fell to the ground and, and she was too freaked out and, and uh, stressed out to be able to video record what happened. So she said, can you make an app that as soon as you start um, the app, it starts recording a video and then from I th then give her the ability to send that video to somebody. So we did blindfold video that we gave away for free that uses the front, the back facing camera as soon as the app starts and you can video record anything and, you know, while you, while it's recording and then you double tap the screen again, it stops the recording, you can send to somebody. That became very, very popular. And we've done a couple of more games since I think over the years I was asked, um, to come up with a game where people could take care of a pet, similar to the Tamaguchi devices that were popular in the 1980s. And I ended up coming up with Blindfold Doggy, where you take care of your own dog and you have to uh, take, uh, take it out for a walk and play with it and feed it and buy it food and take it for walks in the park or the river. And that's been probably one of the most popular games after Blindfold Racer. Well, uh, back in 2016 and 17, uh, I met a woman named Diane Browner who had appeared a lot of, at a lot of the conferences for teachers uh, of uh, visually impaired students, both orientation mobility specialists and TBIs. And she said she was using some of my games to teach kid skills to young kids. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, I'm using your um, bowling game to teach fine motor skills. I said, that's pretty interesting. And she starts going through some how she uses different games. She said, can you build a battleship game for me? And I said, why? She said, well, in battleship, I can teach the kids the grid concepts because they like playing battleship. But if we can teach them like, how a grid is laid out while they're playing the game, in other words, um, asking if your, your opponent's ship is at like A1 or C3, that's a great way for kids to get used to using that for moving around the grid. So we built a battleship game for her, and she wrote it up on her blog. Then a few months later, she says, can you now build a 3D tic-tac-toe game? 
I said, why would you want that? She said, well, it's again, another good way to teach three-dimensional grids. And by the way, um, blind children are much better at playing 3D games than our sighted children because they have to picture the items in their head and they can navigate around that more in, more, in a more effective way. So I did that, and then we collaborated on a few games. Um, and at that time, I had noticed that more and more, she was writing, more and more teachers were starting to use some of these games to teach skills. So we thought, Maybe we could make a difference um, with the kids if we actually start a company that built educational games. So the first thing I did was to go out to what's called a Vision Serve conference. This is a conference of all the CEOs of the Lighthouses for the Blind and a lot of the schools for the blind and a lot of um, government agencies where they all kind of get together once or twice a year and talk about how they can help each other and, and do better advocacy. So I... Uh, went to that. It was actually at a, a kind of a horse ranch, a dude ranch out in um, Arizona. And I stopped by and met a lot of the people there. And I said, I'm thinking of starting a company that builds educational games where teachers have told me that um, games are a great reward or games are a great reward and students learn by playing these games. And they all thought it was a good idea, but they didn't really know who I was. And, and using that initial information, I said, well, before I start yet another software company to do this, uh, let me see if it would be popular amongst teachers. So the first thing I did was put together a survey. No, no. The first thing I did was actually went out to the, the AER conference in um, Reno, Nevada in 2018, about three, two, three years ago, where every two years is a conference of all the teachers of blind, all the teachers of blind students and low vision students. And there was one 2018. Matter of fact, there would have been one this year, but it was canceled because of the pandemic. But I went out there and I was wearing a bright green blindfold games uh, T-shirt. And I didn't buy a booth or anything like that because they were very expensive, like $3,000 had to be a booth in the vendor exhibit hall. But wearing my bright green blindfold games T-shirt, a lot of teachers would come up to me and say, hey, you know, I, I use your games for our students. I said, well, can I talk to you for five minutes? I'm kind of curious um, how you're using it, and can I record our conversation? And they said, yes. So we would go off, sit down, and I said, why do you use blindfold games with your kids? And they told me it's three things. Firstly, the students actually are learning different orientation and mobility or navigating or, or fine motor skills using your games. Said, okay, that's interesting. He said, the games are a great reward for the students because if they do the proper behavior in class or they do the assignments were given, Playing the games is a great reinforcement because there are very few games that students with vision impairments can play on their iPhone and kids just want to use technology. And they finally said, and another thing that students are doing is they're learning leadership skills. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, your games are all audio games and sighted students don't really understand how to play audio games. So the blind student or the student who has very low vision is, put, is thrust into a leadership role explaining to their peers how to play an audio game, and that's a new experience for the students, and they find it very rewarding. I said, well, that's pretty cool. So between my background in building accessible games since 2012, 2013, and previously I was a co-founder of a company that did special education management reporting software for school districts. We started that company in 2000. We sold it in 2016. We launched Objective Ed, and the purpose of Objective Ed is to provide reinforce, reinforcement learning through games 
for students who are blind or have low vision and give the teacher the ability to track each student's individual progress. So I want to kind of show this short um, uh, described video of how the system works. As teachers, you know that there is never enough time to teach and practice all the skills your students need to know. The animated video starts by showing a teacher and a boy student together at a desk working on an iPad. She hands the iPad to the boy and walks out of the classroom. With Objective Ed, we help your students practice the skills you taught them through fun and exciting games. We have many different skills that can be taught using more games. The screen shows the Objective Ed web dashboard where the teacher logs in. So simply activate the one that fits your students' IEP goals. You see the list of skills in the web dashboard that the teacher has selected for the child. Then, a version of that game that focuses on training the skills you specify will be sent to the cloud and then to your student's tablet device. The screen shows the boy sitting on a couch at home with the iPad playing the Objective Ed curriculum-based games. Students will learn and practice while they play. The screen shows the student's finger swiping up in response to the clock direction spoken by the game. After the student finishes playing the game, the information is sent back to your teacher dashboard. The screen shows the teacher working at home on the teacher dashboard monitoring her student's progress. Using the dashboard, you can watch your students' progress as they improve over time. You can then export that data and import it into your student's IEP progress report. At Objective Ed, we help students achieve their best educational outcomes. The video finishes with the Objective Ed logo. So the way the system works is based on each student's individual uh, educational plan, a teacher specifies what skills she wants a student to learn. Each of our games will adjust itself to match the skill that the student should acquire, and the student plays the game not realizing how much they're learning. The game evaluates the student's progress, adjusting itself to keep the student both engaged and entertained, and the teacher monitors the student's progress on a web dashboard. So when the pandemic hit, so we had built, started building all the systems in 2018, um, and we started to test in schools in, in 2019. And we were running a lot of pilots at the beginning of 2020. So when the pandemic hit, we told schools that they could use our system for free in spring semester. And we helped over 500 schools shift to distance learning. And many of those school systems are now subscribing to Objective Ed for hybrid and distance learning in the current semester. Um, I want to share a quick video where you can hear Beth talk about her experience with it. Beth is a, is a vision rehabilitation therapist up in, um, in Aurora, Washington. So I've been working with kids for only two business days and then the shutdown. And so when they sent us all home, I thought, okay, well, that was really nice. <laughs> I guess it's over. And then a week later, they say, we want you to go to a meeting and I'm going to be teaching four, five, six-year-olds mobility online remotely is the opposite of what our profession usually does, especially with people so young. They said, okay, you're going to be doing it every Friday. Yeah, of course I'll do this. When I got to the parents, they had already had a week or two of school already online. And I could see that some of them were really 
quite fatigued. It was usually a mom. She was usually working full time at home and had between one and three children, but she was also managing their one room schoolhouse. The fatigue and emerging exhaustion was palpable. So when I started explaining to one mom that there was this game that would teach really important mobility concepts to her six-year-old, I could see a worried look on her face. And I said, well, you know, he has an iPad. It's okay. And she still looked concerned. I said, well, these are completely accessible. He won't need any help with this. And I could just see her start to relax and open up. The relief on her face was very clear. And now she learns that these games would really give important education to her child about directionality, laterality, wayfinding that were truly valuable and also that he could do independently. And so that was really meaningful for the parents. I asked them to apply it through their house. And because they already understood it through the game, it was easily applied through the house. It made a big difference in their emerging wayfinding skills. So it was extremely valuable and so very appreciated. So uh, I have a, a, a whiteboard video. Basically, it's a cartoon video that's um, audio described that kind of explains how a teacher uses it in this type of setting. The title of this cartoon is Sarah and Maya Directionality. This is Sarah. A hand draws a cartoon of Sarah in front of her car. For the past eight years, she's been an itinerant TBI and O&M. Sarah works with six students who have vision impairments. The scene changes and a hand draws Sarah with her six students. Back from summer vacation, she was just told that her school is going to a hybrid schedule. The scene changes and a hand draws Sarah being shown a paper with her hybrid schedule. She must provide orientation and mobility instruction to her students remotely. The screen shows the Objective Ed logo. She heard of Objective Ed and decides to give it a try. Maya is one of Sarah's students. The scene changes and a hand draws Sarah and Maya pointing in different directions. Sarah worked with Maya last year. Maya is now in first grade and is working on directionality. Maya's IEP includes a goal that Maya will be able to demonstrate the ability to use the clock analogy for orientation. Sarah logs into the Objective Ed web dashboard for teachers. The scene changes, and a hand draws Sarah in front of a laptop screen with the Objective Ed website and selects a game and a skill to match that IEP goal. She chooses the barnyard game. The scene changes, and a hand draws Sarah giving an iPad to Maya practice clock directions and sets it to use only directions for 12, 3, 6, and 9 o'clock. Sarah downloads the Objective Ed app onto the iPad that Maya will use. The scene changes and a hand draws Maya holding her iPad with the Objective Ed app. The barnyard game appears and is ready for Maya to play. The scene changes and a hand draws the barnyard game ready to play. Sarah gives Maya the iPad, and Maya starts investigating the game. Using the iPad's built-in voiceover function, she finds the barnyard button and double-taps it. The game begins. Maya hears a short tutorial and starts playing. When the end of the school day is over, the scene changes, and the hand draws Maya's mom and Maya sitting in her car with Maya playing on an iPad. Maya's mom picks her up. 
As soon as Maya gets in the car, she pulls out the iPad, finds the barnyard game, and starts playing. A few days later, before their next online session, the scene changes, and a hand draws Sarah in front of a laptop screen, looking at Maya's progress in a graph. Sarah wants to see how well Maya is progressing on her directionality. She signs in to the Objective Ed web dashboard and looks at Maya's progress. Sarah sees that Maya has mastered these simple plot directions. During their Zoom session, Sarah confirms Maya's understanding of simple plot directions. Using the Objective Ed web dashboard, Sarah sets Barnyard to use full plot directions. And Maya can't wait to continue playing the game. The screen shows the Objective Ed website along. So we've done um, about a dozen um, orientation mobility games and assistive technology games. But another thing that we, we've uh, created is some games for Braille literacy. We won the Touch of Genius Award from the National Braille Press, uh, the Louis Braille Touch of Genius Award, um, last year for our Braille Sheets uh, innovation, where you take a sheet of um, Braille you put on the iPad, and the iPad knows what's on that Braille, and then... Um, we provide games based on the sheet of Braille, and I'll explain that in a minute. The second piece we did was for advanced Braille literacy, we, we, did, we want a grant from Microsoft for Braille AI Tutor. What Braille AI Tutor does is help students improve their Braille literacy, whereas Braille Sheets is really the early Braille literacy. With Braille AI Tutor, as a student reads from a refreshable Braille display, they speak what they're reading as they read. So they... Um, like a sentence would be sent to the Braille display, the student would read the sentence and speak the sentence out loud. Using Microsoft speech recognition systems, we would convert that speech back to text and then compare the sentence we sent to the Braille display with the text that the student spoke. If they're the same, that means the student read the sentence correctly and they win points in the game. This actual invention was, came out of... Um, myself, uh, Kirk Adams, who's the president of the American Foundation for the Blind, and somebody from Microsoft having um, some drinks at the CSUN conference uh, about two years, about a year ago, where we were thinking of how we could apply AI to help improve Braille literacy. And I asked Kirk at that time, um, how did you learn Braille when you were growing up? And he said he would read Braille on his Braille display or on, on paper, speak it as he read, and his Braille instructor would correct him when he made mistakes and listen. So we basically used AI for the same type of concept. Um, I'm not going to go into that one anymore, but I have a quick video. It's not audio described, but I think the, the narration should be sufficient to explain how Braille Sheets works. This is Sarah. For the past eight years, she's been an itinerant TBI and O&M. Sarah works with six students who have vision impairments. She was just told that her school is going to a hybrid schedule. Some of her students cannot use printed materials, so she's been providing Braille instruction to them. Sarah heard of Objective Ed's Braille Sheets literacy tool and decides to give it a try. Rosa is one of Sarah's students. Last year, Rosa went to a stable and absolutely loved being with the horses. Peanut was her favorite horse. Rosa can't stop talking about horses and ponies. Recently, Rosa has lost enthusiasm for reading her Braille homework assignments. She says those stories are boring. Sarah writes a short story about the day in the life of a horse and copies it into the Objective Ed web dashboard. 
she picks the option to use grade two Braille, then types in five questions for the Braille Sheets quiz game to use. Sarah prints the horse story on the school's Braille embosser and attaches the Braille paper to an iPad and hands it to Rosa. Rosa reads the title, A Day in the Life of Peanut the Horse. A huge smile appears on Rosa's face. Rosa reads through the story several times, laughing as she does it. Then, the Objective Ed Braille Sheets quiz game asks Rosa for the first question that her teacher previously typed into the web dashboard. The question Rosa hears is, where does Peanut the horse sleep at night? Rosa finds the word barn in its contracted form and double taps on it. She hears a and Rosa is told that she just won a few points in the quiz game. Later that night at home, Sarah uses the Objective Ed Web dashboard to check on Rosa's progress. She sees Rosa is progressing, and she wants more story games about horses and ponies. Sarah writes several more stories to give to Rosa for their next session. So that's kind of a, a summary of, of where we've gone um, with Object, while we still have the blindfold games, um, and and people in teams or teams and adults play those. The Objective Ed uh, curriculum is sold to school districts. Um, and we, I think now we're almost up to about 100 different school districts who are paying for our system. Um, um, many of those 500 who initially used it are in the process of, of getting it and moving forward. It's just a matter of going through all the paperwork. Um, so uh, if anyone has any questions, we have you know, about five, about eight minutes or so to go through questions or any ideas on new games or things like that. If anyone wants to find out more about Objective Ed, feel free to visit objectiveed.com. If you want to write to me, my email is marty at objectiveed.com. You can also reach me at marty at blindfoldgames.org. Chris Hunsinger with a question. And that is, are you using um, the Objective Ed Braille uh, to teach math skills as well? And do you do it both in Nemeth and in UEB math? Um, right now, um, we haven't done a major effort in math. I think we do, I think it's Nemeth coding that we're using on that. Um, the teachers are mainly using it, not for math, but for other things. And I think if we did math, we'd have a different set of games and use that. Um, we'd probably end up doing that more on a Braille display than on a, um, a sheet of Braille paper. And that would probably be something, games that would work off a Braille display or would work off of, or work with Braille AI to it. Um, we really view um, Braille sheets as very elementary Braille, kind of going anywhere from simply following dots along a line to picking up, you know, learning some early contractions and things like that. In general school systems, kids are getting Braille displays by the time they're in about third grade. That's when they're considered mature enough not to lose it. Um, so it's a matter of what we teach, way teachers want to use Braille sheets in the first few years. And, and kids are also using Braille displays in their resource rooms, even in first and second grade. So um, they would probably be focusing on games that use either NIMH or UED math based on how you have the Braille display set. Hi, Marty. Hi, Marty. This is Sue Lickenfels. Um, you're, you're doing amazing work. Um, but I'm asking you some questions as a blind parent who's been, you know, dumped into this world of educating my child from home. And I wonder if you have uh, 
thought about any games or any way to assist blind parents? I'm, we struggle with um, telling time, you know, on a clock. Uh, we struggle with um, her kind of trying to describe shapes to me so that I can help her figure out, um, you know, <laughs> what the area is or the perimeter, um, those kinds of things. So any thoughts on that? Um, you're the first person to ask us to do that. I have a grant right now out to that we hope to win. We're working with some researchers on teaching blind kids um, uh, early math, pre-K, really, through third grade, and kind of build things out that way with, with all the right things, and hopefully we'll get that grant. But we've never approached it from the, from the uh, point of view of how does a blind parent teach a sighted child these concepts um, so that, that's been a little challenging, by the way, there is an app on, um, that I just did as part of work doing this work on, um, the research I'm called blindfold shapes, um, where using entirely sound, you have to determine what the shape is, um, and kind of teach you it. And you might take a look at that, um, uh, as a way to communicate those type of things. I don't know if this is going to be any good, but it, it might get your child to, how old is your child? Uh, she's nine. Oh, okay. So she's probably past that point. But it would be yeah. interesting to, to um, for her to get a better better concept, for a younger kid, I guess, a better concept of how you perceive the world. Um, so if you want to look at that and you need a coupon for that, just email me, Marty at blindpicking.org. Um, but no, we haven't looked into that problem yet. Um, there's like a list of things to do that is ignor- enormous, and we're just trying yes. to. <laughs> uh, the other thing we did, which um, came out of conversations with um, some of the large um, state organizations for the blind, like Mass Commission for the Blind or um, Florida Division of Blind Services, is they were saying, can we gamify the, the training of kids, of, of kids with low vision or blind? in preparing them for the workforce or to go to college. And we want a grant from Health and Human Services to build out a, an interactive fiction game to teach pre-employment transition skills. Uh, an interactive fiction game is kind of like a computer adventure game where it's a text-oriented game, and it'll kind of narrate the game to you and then give you options on how to do that. So we assembled a team of two interactive fiction writers, Brian and Kim Charlson, um, a vision rehab uh, expert from the Carroll Center, as well as um, uh, Carla Antonelli from Mississippi State University, who specializes in in this area. Um, And what we're trying to do going forward is always work with researchers to build out uh, curriculum that makes sense from both a educational perspective or the science perspective as well as a real world perspective by having um visually impaired adults on the team of putting things together and so started to that out there any other questions yeah carla please actually um i want to i want to tell you how much i'm enjoying this and the <laughs> teachers american association of blind teachers are still talking about the presentation you did for us a couple years ago but i have two questions um first of all um um i'll, I'll probably give you the most difficult one first but um could you have you ever thought about um 
um, having your games on the PC platform at all, and um, what would it take to do that? And then the second question I'm going to ask is, can you talk somebody, you know, I'm sort of a, a marginal, I use an iPod Touch, but, um, you know, so I'm marginal in my skills in some ways, but could you talk somebody through the process of downloading, subscribing to your games and downloading them and the nuts and bolts of how to do that? And then, as I said, that question about the PC platform. Yeah. So let me start first with the PC platform. Um, all these game, all my games are written in Objective-C, which is the pro- one of the two programming languages that one uses for the um, iPad and the iPhone. Um, uh, there's a new programming language that you may have read about in an article called Swift. It's kind of um, an, an easier way to do it. But anyway, when I started writing games, only Objective-C was available, so that's what I wrote it in. And when you're a programmer, it takes about a year or two to become competent in a new programming language. So I stuck with Objective-C in all the games I did on that. To move a game that's written for an iPhone or an iPad onto any other platform, be it an Android device or PC or Mac, um, is means you have to completely rewrite it. Now, it, I think Apple is doing something so that iPhone apps will be able to run on the Mac, but since these games are also gesture-oriented, I'm not sure how that would translate. I'll take a look at it once Apple makes part of the new operating system. The games all built by Objective-Ed, on the other hand, are written in a language called Unity. Now, whereas on a, um, um, an iPhone or iPad, you'd use Objective-C or Swift, on, um, on an Android device, you use a language called Java. Uh, when you write in a language called Unity, it actually can work in all of the platforms, be it iPhone, iPad, Android, uh, Apple TV, a browser, a Mac, a PC, absolutely everything. So all our new games are in Unity, and that gives us the ability to, this, this semester we'll be announcing support for the, the Kindle Fire tablet, the Android device, and the Google Chromebook, all of which are very popular in schools. Um, rewriting the blindfold games in Unity is something we may do in the future, but right now we're too busy actually building out educational games. Now, for somebody who has either um, a high-end iPod like you might have or an iPad or an iPhone, to download that game is simply a matter of first creating an account at the iTunes App Store, which is almost a requirement when you install the iPhone, and then you simply search for blindfold games there and you'll see a slew of games. Um, you could download any of those games and play those games for free. Um, when a game starts up, it actually gives you a list of all the other games that are available. So you can scroll through that list. If you tap on any of those games that are, when, when this list first comes up on your phone, if you uh, have it on your phone, it would uh, tell you about the game. If you don't have it on the phone, it could, it'll take you to the app store where you can learn about it and then download it. And then downloading is simply a matter of tapping on the phone to the download button. And again, they all download for free. And you get about an hour to a play out of the downloaded game. And then at some point, it's going to say, if you like the game, then pay the, you know, the three or the five dollars that the game might cost to upgrade to all the features. Um, so it's pretty easy, uh, and the games are built from the ground up to be accessible. Um, unlike a, no, uh, a regular game that might have um, accessibility kind of bolted onto the side of it, where you have to double, triple tap buttons and, and swipe to get around the screen of, of buttons and different items, all our games work off gestures, and the gestures are pretty similar from game to game. So once you 
past kind of the learning of one game, you pretty much know how all the games are, will operate. Thank you. And is there tutorials for each game? Um, you know, is there a tutorial that starts up? Um, yeah, the- there's both a user guide that, that you could have it read to you, as well as most of the games start off with, a tutu- with, with teaching you the skills you need to do the game. So um, uh, what's an example of it? Uh, by thinking like the pinball game, it'll kind of take you through a very simple pinball thing and then teach you what all the different sounds are and how the sounds translate to different points that you get. But every game, I, I, I um, have one or two levels at the beginning of the game to really teach you what the game mechanics are and how the game is played. So we try to make it as simple as possible. All these games, by the way, have been vetted and tested by a lot of blind testers worldwide where I'll produce a game and then I'll send it out to them and they'll like reject half of it. And then working and collaborating with them, we refine that game over the next three to four months until it's sufficiently easy and just um, it fits all their needs because without their feedback, I would have no clue. Thank you very much. Phone number 909, please. Okay, the, the, question, the question that I had is about the uh, blindfold greeting card. Okay. I had the question, I hadn't used it for a while, and I tried to send a card to somebody, and I got, I did fine until I got to the send the card, and I clicked that, and then it said the card was in the cloud, and I never could figure out how to send it to a particular person. Okay, once the card is in the cloud, it, what it does is it puts into your, um, your ability to paste the web link for that card. So what, what you would do is say jump over to email or Facebook or message and then simply use the gesture to do a paste, and that will be the, um, the, the web link where they can access the card. Eunice. It's charming. Does that make sense? Eunice. So what would be case? So if the card was stored in the cloud at what would be HTTP colon slash slash say uh, blindfoldgreetingcard.org slash one two three four five dot mp three, when you hit the paste button, what I just read to you would be pasted right into your message. So that's how you could tell somebody how to retrieve that card. I muted her, so that's why she's not responding. Sorry. Well, I thank you very much, Morty. And uh, we, I think we've all learned a bunch, and I'm ready to do greeting cards. <laughs> well, like and, I said, uh, if anyone wants to reach me, it's Marty at blindfoldgames.org or Marty at objectivedead.com. Well, thank you. First thing, you have a great day. Stay healthy. You too. Okay. Bye-bye.